0: Hello and welcome uh, to the Green Majority. Um, I'm your host Lauren Latour. You are used to normally hearing Stefan and Dave as well but they are away on vacation outside of the beautiful city of Toronto um, where we are typically based out of. Uh, If you're just tuning in for the first time um, you might be catching us on CIUT or you might also be joining us um, on any number of podcast platforms as we are a recent additional member of the Harbinger Media Network family. And we're so stoked for that. So thank you so much for joining us, returning listeners, new listeners. Again, my name Lauren and I'm your host to host for today. Um, the next hour is going to be entirely devoted to a just transition, talking about a just transition in so-called Canada and the newly released sustainable jobs legislation. And joining me today, I have a fantastic panel. I have Amara Poussian from 350 Canada. I have Hadrian Martin's Kirkwood from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. And I have Aliénor Rougeau from Environmental Defence Canada. And these three have agreed to sit down with me for the next hour. So we can talk about this brand new um, sustainable jobs legislation and just transition as a larger concept in general. Thank you all so much for being here today. To start us off, um, maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves. And tell us about your work and your work's relationship to Just Transition as a concept, whether it's exclusive to the act or or broader than that. Would just sort of love to hear um, basically I want listeners to know why it is that I brought you here today and, and, and what your kind of your expertise is as it pertains to just transition. So so um I'll start with Ali, if that's okay.
1: Hey Lauren, uh, and and hey folks, thanks for having me. Um, So I'm Ayana Rougeau, or Ali, if it's easier. I am a Climate and Energy Program Manager at Environmental Defense. Uh, Environmental Defense is an advocacy organization working on issues around climate justice and environmental um, justice as well. My role at Environmental Defense is, is working on a lot of the campaigns related to the energy transition. So on one side, making sure this transition is just, that it's equitable for workers and communities impacted. And then on the other, making sure that as we phase out of the fossil fuel industry, we don't leave uh, landscapes that were completely harmed. So things like um, the toxic tailings ponds and the oil sands, making sure there's kind of a cleanup after the industry's
0: mess. So yeah, that's me. Beautiful, thanks so much for that, Ali. Hadrian, thanks so much for for joining us today. Yeah, tell us about yourself.
2: Yeah, well, thanks a lot for the invitation. It's always a, always a pleasure, Lauren. Um, my name is Hadrian Burns-Kirkwood. I'm a senior researcher at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. We're a progressive think tank, so we've been working on issues of social justice, climate justice for a long time. Um, I've been personally interested in a just transition for, for the better part of five or six years, and... Doing a lot of uh, comparative research. I'm a researcher, I've been looking internationally at other countries that are further ahead than Canada is when it comes to this transition away from fossil fuels and trying to learn lessons from those countries and, and jurisdictions. Because we can do this, but it takes planning. And that's really what it comes down to, is the idea that that a just transition is possible, but you need to manage it. Um, We can't just kind of lurch forward without considering how people are going to be impacted. So a lot of my research has focused on that. How do we smooth this transition, make sure nobody is is left behind, workers or communities?
3: A noble endeavor. Thank you so much for the good work you do. Um, And finally, to you, Amara, what's up? Thanks, Lauren. Uh, I'm Amara. I'm the Canada team lead at 350.org. We're a global uh, climate advocacy organization. We've been working in Canada since 2014. And um, the the reason that 350 decided to build a team in Canada was because we're home to the tar sands. So before 2018, our, our team was fighting pipeline by pipeline to keep the tar sands in the ground. And when All of us, when the movement stopped the Kinder Morgan pipeline and Trudeau went ahead and bought it instead, we realized that we needed to shift our approach to building active popular support for real solutions and also building the power needed to actually force action. So since 2019, we've been working on um, a Green New Deal and a just transition because we see transition campaigns as a really powerful vehicle for Connecting diverse strands of work um, within the climate movement, whether we're talking about finance and moving money to, towards paying for the transition, or you know political campaigns that accelerate the transition through legislation. Uh, basically, we were um, like many groups in the ecosystem, focusing on keeping tar sands in the ground, and running into the same barriers over and over again because. We were seeing that the transition wasn't happening fast enough. Um, the political status quo was was approving fossil fuel projects and, you know, caving to pressure from the fossil fuel industry. So that's that's our relationship to the uh, transition.
0: No, thanks so much for teasing out that kind of that shift from strictly supply side. Um, kind of, I always think of that as like it. It feels like a whack a mole thing where it was just like going after different projects as they popped up to this sort of a uh, more systemic transformational sort of narrative endeavor you've you've embarked on at 350. Um question for any of the three of you or all of the three of you um can anyone take a moment to tell listeners sort of like what a just transition is tease out that definition because there's a lot of different concepts flying around um and then maybe why it's become such a controversial topic in certain parts of the country. Um I feel like there's some good faith and maybe less good faith arguments that have come out recently against just transition. So if we could hear about those as well, that'd be sick. Um, Adrian, maybe to you first.
2: Yeah, happy to talk about the history. So just transition is a is a kind of a storied history. Uh, it's, an, it's an old concept. Uh, and it comes out of the labor movement. The labor movement has really championed this idea, whether they call it a just transition or not, for decades, basically the idea that um, workers need to be considered and supported when when pursuing often environmental policies that are going to affect them. So this is, this is not unions saying we oppose climate policy or environmental policy. It's saying if you affect our workers, they need to be supported. That's really the core of it, making sure no one's left behind. Um, and that concept has evolved to be a bit about broader than that. It's about unionized workers, yes, but uh, any workers in affected communities, the communities themselves, making sure that really no one is left behind as we as we embark on this transition and the momentum around a just transition really picked up in the last 10 years um and kind of culminated with just transition just transition being recognized in the Paris agreement that was a big milestone uh in 2015 saying that we we you know we need to put people first in this uh as we tackle the climate crisis so that kind of set the stage for uh the Canadian federal government or actually it was like the, the the liberal campaign platform at the time in 2019 to promise a just transition act. We were going to take these principles and making sure no one is left behind, put them in law to uh, you know protect workers and communities across the country. So that kicked off then a whole bunch of organizing in Canada around, okay, well, if you've promised this act, what should it look like? And it took four years, but finally we, you know, we kind of have one. I know that's what we're talking about today. Um, you did also mention the controversy. I mean, the the phrase "just transition" has not always been warmly received, specifically by the people it is supposed to help, um, and it's become a highly politicized uh, term that uh, particularly particularly conservative politicians and uh, the the oil and gas industry don't like. They don't like that a transition is happening at all. Uh, and that that partly explains why the federal government has actually moved away from the term. So even though just transition is this concept that we're all kind of familiar with, it has this history, there's all this kind of literature around the idea of a just transition, other countries call it just transition. In Canada, we've decided to go with sustainable jobs. So anytime you hear the federal government talks about sustainable jobs, they're really talking about a just transition, um, but they don't like that term anymore.
0: Yeah, and we might come back to that sort of that language shift um, at some point in the conversation. But did anybody else have anything they wanted to touch on? Yeah, Ali. I think to add to that, the, the reason the just
1: transition idea is so powerful and also so scary to, you know, the oil and gas lobby um, and and some parties in Canada that are really opposing climate action is because it has the potential to unite uh Folks that have historically, people have tried to divide them, right? So it's a kind of the environmental movement, uh, the social justice movement, and the labor movement. Historically, um, governments or private interests have tried to, to kind of drive division in between those groups. And the concept of just transition, which is, you know, we have this opportunity, we have a necessary economic shift. How do we use this shift to kind of improve all of our lives? How do we, you know, leave no one be, behind, but also make sure we bring in the people who were never included. That's so powerful that I think it explains some of the like fabricated controversy that we're seeing so much right now by, by some interests. because um, if we win, if the public understands the potential of this, um, then there's really nothing stopping uh, real climate action and real justice. And, and obviously, that scares some folks.
2: Yeah, if I can pick up on that, I think it's really important that Ali the the kind of equity piece, the justice piece that, it's not, it's, it's bigger than, you know, worker retraining, I think often a just transition gets reduced to kind of very, you know, narrow policies. But it's about justice at its core. And it's also about transition at its core. And I think as we get into talking about this act, I don't see a lot of either justice or transition. um, And that that, that's, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, and no, And you're right, we are going to get into that. It's sort of it strikes me as like, There, We were disappointed to see the sort of change in terminology around like renaming it a Just Transition Act and naming the Sustainable Jobs Act. But at at this point, the name feels more apt because, like you said, there is very little justice, very little transition in what was previously supposed to be. Anyway, a Just Transition Act. We'll get back into that. Um, But sort of on... On that note, as we sort of shift this conversation into to talking about the legislative element, um, Allie, uh, so this legislation dropped last week, this episode comes out on, on Friday the, the 23rd or something like that. But So, so last week, um, an act called, let me see if I can get this right, an act respecting accountability, transparency, and engagement to support the creation of sustainable jobs for workers and economic growth in a net zero economy. Was released by by um, Minister of Natural Resources Jonathan Wilkinson. It is otherwise referred to as the Canadian Sustainable Jobs Act. But but I did want to get the full the full title out there at least once. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how we got here? Because um, I feel like there's a bit of a of a timeline, even just of the last few months, um, that sort of led up to this act being released. And I feel like you've been somewhat involved and and, and you have you had a bit of an ear to the ground um, as to like how that process has played out.
1: Sure. And I love that you read out every word of that really long legislation title, because the name shift was supposed to be because just transition didn't pull well. And I don't know that accountability, transparency and engagement polls better, but I'll leave that to the government to decide. But yeah, so so Hadrian pointed out, you know, 2019, uh, the, the liberal um, platform kind of announces a just transition strategy um, with with not a ton of detail. Uh, and then. We went into a few years of just waiting, like we didn't hear anything. There was a beginning of a consultation in 2021 and then another election was called and then we didn't hear anything. And there were rumors, as you said, we were paying a lot of attention to what was happening in Ottawa. There were rumors that the legislation was going to arrive, but kind of nothing came. And so... As it happens when there's a void, someone else filled it. And you had the Alberta premier and a lot of other kind of dissenting voices that started saying, we know what's going to be in this planet. It's going to be, you know, job killing, et cetera, et cetera. So that's early 2023. We all of a sudden have a, have a big pushback on the idea of just transition without having seen anything from this government. And so eventually in, in February, they, they tabled what they called an interim sustainable jobs action plan, which really was a bit of a summary of what they had done already some existing programs around training or income support or, or those sort of things and then a bit of an announcement of what was to come so they reiterated a commitment to having you know legislation they talked a bit about the principles they also talked they announced you know that they would set up some specific things like an independent uh advisory body called the partnership council that would kind of guide the government's approach to this or a dedicated government agency because we know this involves different ministries and you need a place to coordinate so they kind of announced this but again it was a plan that didn't have much like either teeth like it had no kind of legal weight and also not a ton of detail so I still felt like we were a bit in a waiting phase and then last week they come out with this legislation um, which mostly reiterated what they had already announced. They're going to create these two bodies. They have to issue action plans every five years, and the minister has to report on them every so often. So so that's kind of where we got here. And so this act is... Um, I was trying to explain that to someone because someone said, so what does it mean for me? Because usually we hear new laws and we're like, what is this law going to force me to do? Like, is this law about something I can or can't do anymore? This Isn't that type of law? It's more of a law for the government to do something. The idea is making sure that this government, but also all future governments have to continue um, issuing
0: plans in response to the energy transition. That's, that's kind of its role. That's a really good way to frame that. Thank you so much for making that so explicit. It's, it's not a law that necessarily mandates you or I to do anything, but it, it's a law that, that gives the government a, a new mandate to carry this work forward. So, yeah, just throwing the general question out there what are some hot takes on the legislation right out of the gate? Um, like you said, Ali, it's very similar to the plan that was um, announced and released back in the springtime, um, but there there's kind of some new stuff in here. Um, what what were initial sort of reactions to this? Not just from your organizations, but but from other organizations you might work with or the movement in general.
3: It seems like a plan to make a plan by 2025. And that is infuriating in the midst of the worst wildfires we've ever seen in Canada. But I usually actually look to Ali and Hadrian for a live analysis. So I'd love to hear their hot takes.
2: I think on the on the one hand, it was exactly what we expected. Uh, like Ali laid out, I mean, we had this plan a few months ago. It said this act was going to come out soon, and it was going to include, you know, a, a few specific items, and we got those items. So on that front, I mean, there's not a lot of news here. But on the other hand, it's it's like a lot weaker even than I was expecting in terms of. Uh, as As Amara said, it is absolutely a plan to make a plan. There is no tangible policy, or like there are no programs in here. There are no specific supports. It's very high level, kind of institutional framework stuff to manage this file going forward. But it really could have been so much more. And I think that's that's the disappointment. It's not that this is necessarily bad legislation. I don't think this is ultimately going to get in the way of a just transition, but it could have been a lot stronger in, in, in advancing that just transition in a tangible way. Um, I mean, just, just as like one small example, like they, they talk about one of the goals of this being to support workers and communities, but there is nothing in this bill that would actually support workers and communities. There's no commitment to programs. There's no guarantees of jobs or, or investment. It says that we will con- essentially consider workers and communities in developing these plans, but there's nothing concrete there.
3: Yeah, there are no specifics. There's no urgency. I I think Hadrian was the one who said there's no justice or transition in the bill at all. Totally, I think the um,
1: the lack of urgency is especially striking. Yeah, the, right now, um, with with the climate crisis that we're all experiencing. And I think, you know, this legislation, again, isn't bad, but, but it's also like four years late. I think if they had put this out uh, in 2019, right after getting elected and, and promising this, and they had set up their, their partnership council, and then the first kind of five-year plan had come out right now, then maybe we would be really, um, you know, happy with it. But I think it just comes so late that, uh, that now you imagine even in a best-case scenario where this legislation moves forward quickly, gets passed, it doesn't give us... A secretariat, or an advisory body, or a plan for another few years. So it, you know, when you think of the urgency of the climate crisis, but also when you think of where global markets are, they're already you know like departing from uh, oil and gas, and so workers are already uh, starting to feel the impact of that on on their job security. So you know, there's a timeline mismatch here between the reality and what the plan has, um, and then you know it's supposed to be a sustainable jobs plan but it doesn't describe what sustainable means there's no definition of that and so that's really concerning for me because um it doesn't say sustainable jobs mean a job that you know is aligned with our climate commitment the commitment we made internationally and at home it doesn't say that and so basically what i was wondering reading this was does that mean each minister in charge gets to decide what's sustainable at that at that given moment so that gives neither workers clarity, like certainty, nor like the climate concerned folks um, certainty that we're going the right direction on climate action. So a lot of concerns there. I'll just mention, um, I'm not Indigenous, and I can't speak for Indigenous nations. But but what I've seen in terms of reactions from them is also a disappointment that there's no specific recognition and approach to how you know they're going to have a, a just transition that's In line with their rights you know they're kind of being treated like everybody else and that that's not that's not okay when when you know that they're rights holders in canada
2: what's interesting though and i mean that's such a valid point because there's there's like the preamble gets all this stuff right And like the preamble of the agreement is like, we recognize that, you know, indigenous people need to be at the forefront of this. We need like good secure jobs for people. We need to recognize that women and other, you know, marginalized uh, groups that have historically not been part of the clean economy need to be brought into it. Like all of that stuff is great. And, and having it, you know, in law is important, these principles, but almost none of that makes it into the, the, like the meat of the, of the act. Um, in, again, in any sort of meaningful way, so like the, you know, like the in, the indigenous rights piece basically is reduced to indigenous people will have a seat on this partnership council, but that is that is way way weaker than any sort of concrete you know right or, or support. um Though I should say, we were talking about kind of our our general disappointment here. The la- the labor movement actually seems quite. Happy with this um, initial response from some of the big unions is quite positive. Um, they've been, you know, again, I mentioned that the idea of a just transition comes out of the labor movement. They've been kind of advocating for this for for decades, but especially in the last few years. So getting this act is a, it feels like a win for labor and it, it is a win for labor. Um, but I think even labor should be a bit disappointed that there's not more in here. That's, again, tangible, concrete support for workers above and beyond this kind of social dialogue that's been established you know like labor's going to have a seat at the table that's important um it like a, a labor rep will co-chair the partnership council that's great but there's no guarantee even that the sustainable jobs action plans will 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 protect the kind of good unionized jobs that we're hoping for
3: well and i think we also need to be careful about defining success as a seat at the table like the, I mean, the the bill makes it so easy to do that because one of the only things in there is a list of who's going to have a seat at the table, which, like you say, includes indigenous representation. Sure, great. It also includes representation, uh, depending on how you read it, from the fossil fuel industry. So another way to look at this is that indigenous communities are getting the same representation as the fossil fuel industry that created the crisis, as labor at like as so. So I think we need to be careful about defining access as as success it really like what the the concrete actions that come out of this are are what's going to matter um and i i mean the one thing i really want to bring into the conversation that we haven't talked about yet is the amount of room there is in, in here for the fossil fuel industry to continue shaping the direction that we go in uh like ali said in the in the face of years of silence uh from the government after coming in in 2019 on this promise um the the fossil fuel industry and their political allies have, have filled that space and have set the agenda. Um, and, and this bill is kind of institutionalizing that. I, I'd love to hear, um, if others are reading it the same way, uh,
0: um, and I like, would also be curious to hear sort of like on that note, does that come into play with like the lack of a definition around what a sustainable job is within this context? Because um, Hadrian, in a Twitter thread last week that you that you put out when, when the legislation dropped, you pointed out that, that the sustainable jobs plan did sort of define what a sustainable job was. But this new legislation, this new act doesn't do that. And does that sort of, in addition to allowing industry a seat at the table um, in terms of these like counts? And, and committees are concerned. Does the lack of a sustainable definition or a definition of sustainable also kind of leave the door open here for loose interpretation or creative interpretation by the oil and gas industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, great question. And when I was first reading this, I was kind of kind of flabbergasted. You know, it's like like legislation, like any big piece of legal text, always has this section on definitions. Like these are the key terms. You need to know to understand what this legal documents about and if you look at the definitions in the bill they they talk they define social dialogue they define you know indigenous peoples equity seeking group what the council is you know these are all like kind of key terms you need to understand this act and they don't define sustainable jobs which is like the fundamental unit of what this legislation is supposed to achieve um yes the the the, the plan we got in February did have a definition. It was kind of vague. It was like any job consistent with, you know, moving towards a net-zero economy. It was a kind of a vague definition, but it was something. With this act, what, what the government has said, it doesn't say this in the legislation, but what, what officials have said is that they want to adopt a, a, quote, evergreen definition of sustainable jobs, one that could evolve over time to suit the government's needs. And to me, that's a big risk. I mean, I said earlier that... It's unlikely this legislation will get in the way of a just transition, but there, the the possibility that it gets in the way is, is if sustainable jobs is defined to mean anything, any job. If any job is sustainable, then what is this act even about? It's about economic growth and creating jobs. So it's economic development, but it's not tied to decarbonization in any way. And so you could you can imagine this sustainable jobs you know, agenda via these sustainable jobs plans, advancing a vision of economic growth that is actually not consistent with our climate plans. One that sees, you know, carbon capture uh, in particular and, you know, blue hydrogen and these other kind of fossil fuel lifelines being part of the sustainable jobs conversation. Like there's nothing in here that would, would preclude that. and And that is a risk that basically not only, as Amara said, like, you know, industry is clearly going to have a seat at the table here, um, as as strong a voice as any other, you know, stakeholder in shaping the sustainable jobs agenda. And there's nothing in the legislation that would would, yeah, downplay or limit how it could be used to advance fossil fuel interests.
1: And then that's obviously scary. I mean, it's scary because, we you know, we can't meet our, our climate goals and be in a safe, habitable planet with a... A continued reliance on fossil fuels but it's also it's also scary because if this legislation gives um, so much like kind of official endorsement of things like carbon capture of false solutions right if it says well those are where sustainable jobs are um, we're gonna have a lot of trouble Um, explaining to workers why they were transitioned in 2025 to carbon capture jobs. And then in 2030, when inevitably it's obvious that those industries are not scalable and viable and economically, you know, interesting, they have to transition again to renewables or to energy efficiency. I mean, we already are in a bit of a crisis where people don't trust their governments and their institutions. And if we're having uh, workers that basically have to undergo not one, but two transitions, which are, you know, like complicated, emotionally charged and things like that. And we're also really risking some of the like fundamentals of our democracy. So not to be dramatic, but I'm really worried about this.
0: No, I, I don't think you're being dramatic. I, I think that's a valid concern. Um, so sort of getting back to this point about, although it's mentioned in the preamble, there's a lack of like sort of really strong connection to net zero to those 1.5 degree threshold goals to climate change in the fossil fuel industry in general. Um, is anyone hopeful, I guess, that this is something that this is damage that like could be repaired during the upcoming amendment process when the act goes to a second reading and committee review in the fall? Um, do we think that if the movement comes out in, in like really intense reaction to this failure, um, is there wiggle room here or, or is this something that that is kind of locked into this at this point?
2: I mean, technically speaking, it is a quick fix. It would not be hard to add a line in the body of the text that says, you know, the you know, minister's responsible or the council, wherever we have these mandates to find, must consider the, the Net Zero Accountability Act and ensure that any sustainable jobs policy is consistent with an, you know, a net zero economy by, by 2050. I think that would be very easy to do, technically speaking. Um, and that would be important. It would, you know, that would be that would create some teeth in terms of ensuring that. We are, we are moving in lockstep. Our, our transition policy and our climate policy are one and the same. So, yeah, absolutely. But I would defer to Ali to better understand whether that is politically feasible. It, it, how much of a minefield would that be?
1: I was about to defer to Amara to say, where's the movement at in terms of how ready they are? But, yeah, I will say, um, I, think, I think this is where we're going to have to to really, like politically right now, they're going to do as little as possible, right? It seems like uh, every move um, they take is so cautious, so careful, so afraid of upsetting um, provincial governments that anyways, are gonna are gonna be upset, really. Um, So politically, I think there's a lot of fear. And so the only thing realistically, we can do is make it even scarier for them not to do it. That's really like it's a very simple tactic of they're afraid of doing A, make them more afraid of, of you know uh, not doing it, and then and then that's kind of that's my strategy, I guess.
3: Well, and the fear, like the fear, is even evident in the timeline, right? Like this does this plan does not need to exist until after the next federal election. If the government was saying this is a crisis, we are going to do as much as possible we we have the power right now to do what is needed to meet this moment. We're going to do it. The timelines would be faster. They would actually be acting. I think, yeah, it's, it's crystal clear that they're only going to do it if we force them. And so the question becomes, how do we um, build enough power to force them? And I think it does require us coming together. I mean, thankfully there are many organizations with organized bases that have been talking about and coordinating around this legislation. Um, and I think the, you know, We'll all be at meetings this week talking about what we do next. Um, I think we have to fight for these changes, but I also think that this legislation is making it crystal clear. Like on 350's end, for a couple of years, we've been calling for a Just Transition Act. And I think that what this shows us is that uh, <laughs> this, I don't know if we thought it was going to be a silver bullet, but this, um, is, this is not the, the only answer. Um, and so I think we need to be organizing on, on multiple fronts.
2: Yeah, I, feel, I mean, if, that's a great point about it being a silver bullet. And that's one of the real risks around campaigning for something that's like a kind of a checkbox for the government. And, and a few years ago, I wrote that, you know, a, a weak Just Transition Act would be worse than no act at all. And, and again, not because this is bad legislation, but it allows the government to say, we did it. Let's move on to the next thing and defer this problem down, you know, years and years down the road. I mean, what's going to happen now is they've created a a two year buffer for themselves where now they have two more years to kill before putting this plan out. But then the plan itself is is meaningless, I think, is the is the important point is what's going to happen is like in 2025, we're going to get we're going to get the first complete sustainable jobs action plan and it will lay out an agenda for action. But the plan itself is not going to be the action. So that's why the, you know we've this is a this act is a plan to make a new plan which will then set out an agenda of actual policy, but then we won't actually see anything in that plan in place until 2026 at the earliest, right? So this is all getting moved down. So I mean, I think Ali's point earlier is just so apt that this is just it's just four years too late. It's not that it's wrong; it's that it's too little, too late, and especially when we think about industrial transition. Uh, which we are already undergoing and it's only going to accelerate in the next couple of decades. Like You you need to have that infrastructure, that social support before you do the economic transition. And Canada has a terrible history of waiting until industries collapse and then going in afterwards with some kind of social support, and it's never enough. It's also a lot more expensive to try and go into a destitute community and be like, now we're going to try and like prop you up Instead of going in five years earlier and being let's let's proactively, you know, prepare this community, prepare these workers for uh, for new industries. So you, you were putting the I guess, it's not that we're going too fast on the industrial transition, but we need to be even faster on this kind of social and just transition piece.
0: Um, so like the way in which the Canadian government is like so hesitant to be in any way proactive around issues of of, of resource management and, and transition. There was sort of like the one example that we can kind of point to flawed as it was with the coal phase out kind of process and task force. Why do we think that was somewhat successful and they were willing to sort of jump on the coal phase out bandwagon, but they're still not really, I don't know, getting behind the concept of, of, of this larger just transition and larger phase out like that was an example of proactivity that we're not seeing here and 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 what do we think those differences like the differences there other than just like the obvious that like the oil and gas industry is just like clinging on with its little like cold dead hands
2: well i think there are a few few reasons and i mean you got one of them one of them is, is totally cultural There, are you know there's people wearing their iheart oil and gas shirts i don't think i ever saw an iheart coal shirt so it doesn't have the same kind of cultural connotations. The other piece is that it's just size of the industry, right? Like the coal industry was ultimately a rather small thing in Canada. Um, it was very important to, you know, like 5,000 workers and a, you know a few dozen communities, super important. But in terms of like Canada's broader economy, coal is very small. Oil and gas, not so much. So there's the, clearly the economic imperative. But then the other really important piece is the global context. So globally lots of people are moving away from coal and it made it easy for canada to be kind of kind of just say like oh we're also part of this move away from coal whereas oil and gas the the phase out of oil and gas globally is is moving much slower and canada doesn't want to our governments don't want to be a first mover on that so to me those are kind of like three big pieces
0: we've been talking about how um, this kind of falls short on the concept of just transition there's not a lot of justice not a lot of transition Is there an argument that can be made for the fact that like this actually isn't just transition legislation at all? And this is another example of like a kind of a liberal failure, a la what we saw with electoral reform. Or is that kind of too complicated an argument to make? And we need to go ahead kind of not maybe not championing this, but like referring to this as just transition legislation and being like, no, okay,
3: you gave us something. In some, you know, in some ways, these things feel like semantics. Do we call it this? Do we call it that? And when i'm looking at what the government's putting on the table what i'm wondering is are they willing to talk about the root causes of the climate crisis that is the first step before addressing them so does our government understand like they say that the climate change that climate change is a problem we can all see the climate impacts around us but do they actually are they actually making the connection between at this moment the wildfires and the smoke and climate change, and those responsible. Do, like, do they actually see the fossil fuel industry as responsible for climate change? And are they actively choosing to um, take steps to transition proactively? Um, and and do, they, do they recognize that the fossil fuel industry is trying to hold on for dear life, yeah, so when I look at it through that lens, this is not just transition legislation, but I also don't know if the question that we're supposed to ask, like we should be asking ourselves is, is this is this a just transition or not? And therefore should we champion it or not? I think the task in front of us as as a broader movement is to make that connection and to, to force politicians to act um, on the root causes of the climate crisis, which is part of what we're trying to do with the Day of Action, on june 28th um and anybody can go to 350.org slash burning to find an action near them and sign up to host one uh yeah quite the url <laughs> um but yeah we're we're basically bringing um the, the images of climate impacts to our uh, the doorsteps of our members of parliament and sending a clear message that we need a just transition but we also need to stop fueling the crisis by supporting the fossil fuel industry
2: i i don't think it's an abject failure i think the fact that the the again, I know a preamble is not <laughs> like the real l- law, but it gets a lot of the important points right. And it is it is just transition legislation. It is too weak, you know, the, the, uh, for all the reasons we've already discussed. And and I'm hopeful that we will be able to strengthen it through the legislative process. I don't think we're going to get a second shot at this as movements. I mean, we're not going to get a second Just Transition Act. This is the one and only one we're going to get. So I think the, the focus has to be on making it as strong as possible. I don't think it means we we say this is the be all and end all of of Canada's Just Transition. It's going to be bigger than this act. It has to be. And the again, that's part of what the Sustainable Jobs Plan was saying is the act is one of ten, you know, ten action items that this government's going to pursue in this file. So. I think just we work hard to make this legislation as good as possible. We work hard to make every one of those other points as good as possible. And then we also don't let don't let the federal government define what just transition is. You know, they can have sustainable jobs. We still have just transition and we continue to push uh, on all of these fronts.
3: I also think we hold this up as an example of the way that the government operates. Like this is this is the perfect example of how the Trudeau government addresses climate change. Like like Hadrian said, the preamble is pretty good it says good things, but it's not backed up by action. Um, And that is, I think, the the other thing that we can do to, like, the broader public uh, and, and to the movement is hold this up and say, okay, this is, yes, this is not a step in the wrong direction, and we should fight to make it as good as possible. And also, this shows you how they operate. And, like, we need to build that strategic capacity within the movement so that we can build the power that we need in order to uh, win bigger fights down the road. Like this is a, a such a perfect example of um, the the new climate denial that the, the government embodies in its legislation.
0: I know that um, none of us are like legal experts, but can somebody we've been referencing um, the fact that uh, the preamble is good, but maybe like the meat and potatoes of, of the act aren't isn't great. So for listeners who might not have like ever sat down and, and read a piece of legislation, can somebody just tease out for me, like sort of, I don't know, what that means that something's in, in a preamble and not in the in the main body text is is like I know the preamble sort of like establishes context, but can can we actually meaningfully expect any action based on that preamble?
1: I, I hate studying my sentences with I'm not a lawyer, but this but I'm about to do that. So with no legal degree, what I've heard from lawyer colleagues is that this legislation is meant to uh to be a to be a tool for us right as as civil society as 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 folks in Canada to hold the government accountable and so in the body it says what we can hold it accountable to if they don't table a plan every 5 years technically we could go and you know go to court and say where's your plan every 5 years or if they don't appoint a dedicated partnership council i think my understanding is what's in the preamble should be used more as context for interpretation by the judge if there's something unclear um, so that doesn't really make it super strong, right? You probably wouldn't go and build a whole case around just something around context for interpretation. So if the body says, "Stable job needs to be aligned with our commitment in, in our commitments in the Paris Agreement," that's really strong. You can just kind of argue, "Okay, this job is clearly not aligned." So I, I think that's what I understand as the difference is our ability to use this as an effective tool um, versus otherwise the government being able to use this as a communications tool. And, and the preamble kind of does. I feel more of that for them.
2: Yeah, I think that's really well put. And it's it's to be clear. I mean, the preamble matters, but as Ali pointed out, it's like you can't you know sue the government if they don't uphold the preamble. But the context is really important. They're in, they, they, the government may not be like legally accountable to the preamble, but they are certainly politically accountable. And the fact that we have now or or potentially in law the statement that. The government of Canada's, I can quote, government, and government of Canada's approach to building a net zero economy is guided by dot, 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 uh, the creation of decent work, meaning good paying, high quality jobs, including jobs in which workers are represented by a trade union, as well as job security, social protection, and social dialogue. Again, that's not that's not law, but like that's the kind of thing that me as a researcher, I'm going to quote that all the time. <laughs> you know, anytime I'm talking to government, I'm going to be like, here's what you've committed to. Here's what your law says is your priority. And I I, like, we need to see that in action. So it is a very helpful uh, tool and it will be important context. It's just not as strong as a kind of legal requirement in the body of the text.
1: Can I point to something else with like, how do we decide, you know, if this is like a a win or not in a way? Um, First of all, I really hope we wait until kind of the final text and the final like this being the law for two reasons. The first one is it's really easy to like, we tend to like, you know, mobilize a lot around the like glamorous, like new plan or something. And then we never push to see it fully implemented. And that's really dangerous because it allows the box checking exercise to work. Like we cannot let this government run a next election saying we did the thing if the thing isn't done. And it's especially important if there was an election called in between the time between this being proposed and this actually being passed into law. Because, you know, the government could say, well, we, we were about to pass this law, but then we, you know, an election happened. But so we can't let them get away with that. We can't let them get away with calling an election before doing this thing. And so it kind of them getting uh, the credit for it without actually having done the work. Um, on the other hand, I guess this legislation would be a success, even if it didn't fully um, commit us to, to fossil fuel phase out. We should commit to fossil fuel phase like out. we need to. But I think because Canada is so impacted by the global economy, if this legislation at least actually puts in place really good support structures and mechanisms for the people who will be impacted by the transition that's going to happen kind of regardless of what Canada does, so really understanding that most of Canada's energy transition is going to be forced on us by global markets asking for different things. And so if at least this is a really robust kind of like... Um, safety net mechanism to seize opportunities, um, then at least that would be a win, I think, from like a, a fairness perspective, if not climate. Uh, for now, it doesn't either of those, but I'm just saying there's a way in which this isn't as strong on climate, but if it's really robust on kind of the social justice aspect, it might still be kind of a win for us as, as a as a country.
3: And another, just another win to remember is like the fact that this was tabled at all, I think, is a testament to our power as a movement. Like it's been years since they promised this. Clearly they weren't sitting in a back room somewhere working out the nitty gritty details and coming up with a robust plan, right? If they were, this would look very different. Um, So for for years, many, many organizations have been taking many approaches um, and regular people have been coming together all across the country. frustrated and angry with the the political stalling and coming together to make this happen. So the fact that when when we look at things like this, it's also important to remember the movement wins. uh, And to remember that part of why this is on the table is the power of many movements and many organizations. And that means that we also have the power to make it better. Um, And there are, you know, a few months ahead where, where we can do that.
0: That was was quite inspiring. Thank you, Omara. So if we're gonna t- take just a minute and talk about just transition sort of beyond the act um, that, that we spent a lot of time sort of digging into, Um, During the episode, what are some other spaces where we see kind of this concept of a just transition and the spirit of a just transition being implemented and carried forward? The the thing that I'm thinking of right now is um, Iron and Earth, which is, for for listeners who might not be familiar, an organization started by former fossil fuel industry workers um, in Alberta in order to assist those communities and those workers um, as they transition to new areas of um, work. God, I just used the word work like four times in one sentence. and they recently announced, uh, having received something like $16 million to support program participants um, over the next year in Iron and Earth's training and upskilling programs. Um, they're going to be providing renewable energy career transition resources, including a climate career portal for their workers. What, what are other examples um, of, of how these initiatives are being carried forward beyond the legislation, beyond the federal government? Um because I guess like I don't know, part of movement work is is finding ways to to work outside of those sort of colonial parliamentary structures.
3: I uh, this just it's not, I'm not really answering your question, but um, last year, uh, as we were getting really frustrated with um, the lack of action on this,, uh, many people came together and launched a fake Ministry of just transition. Um, you can see more at transition.ca, but the idea was to make transition projects visible in communities across the country. So I'd recommend taking a look at that for some inspiration before you go to 350.org burning to sign up for the Day of Action. <laughs> yes, let's
0: inject some creativity into these processes. I love that. No, creative, creative direct action is, is something that we need to be drawing on more as a movement. Marches are great, but, but let's see what we can do beyond that. Any other thoughts? I understand it was kind of a weird question to lob at everybody.
1: Not a weird question. No, there's, I mean, we often do this in stay quite vague, but um, uh, there are numerous, you know, indigenous communities and specifically, you know, remote communities that might have been historically very reliant on, on fossil fuels for any sort of power generation who um, ha- have already transitioned to, you know, fully renewable um, <clears throat> local power generation sources or are doing so right now and often, you know, try to find Um, a mix of sometimes seeking like government funding, but also, you know, partnerships with private sector or also just kind of finding other uh, ways to fund it and then keep kind of ownership. So um, we're seeing that as a really concrete example of just transition where it's both like community owned and it's kind of like community govern so also making sure the benefits stay within the community it also has that aspect of of sovereignty for indigenous nations to not be dependent on on anyone else than their own nations so that's one example also point to some of the labor unions who have started kind of those internal conversations and are negotiating with their employers Things around just transition, like they're putting in the language, and I know Unifor is going to go in some of their, uh, you know, major bargaining with the, with some of the, the biggest employers in the auto sector, and they're thinking of, about how you include kind of climate related and just transition demands. So that work is happening regardless of the government's work.
2: And I know you said we're, you know, outside of federal policy, but I'm just the federal policy guy. So the the other way that we we advance just transition is by Kind of adding justice into our transition policy and then adding more transition into our social policy. And the government is kind of dipping their toes here in, in here. I mean, the the recent budget, for better or worse, included a bunch of money for climate stuff and notably included uh conditionality, labor conditions on that money. So, you know, to receive these corporate subsidies, the full value of these corporate subsidies, um, corporations and investors would need to pay a prevailing wage and employ a certain share of apprentices. So to me, that's that's tying the justice element into a broader economic policy, and that could be much stronger, uh, of course, but it's you know a step in that direction. And then conversely, when we are developing you know social policy, um, income support programs, tying that into a broader uh, climate transition conversation, um, because a lot of the problem with our social policies, I've used the metaphor of of parachutes and ladders, where we you know we give these workers parachutes, we say you know we're going to give you extra EI, maybe, you know, retraining support, whatever. But at the end of that, there's still no new job. Um, so we need to be thinking about actually giving people ladders from their current roles into new roles um, in terms of investing in job creation programs as part of our social policy. So uh, the point is that just transition is a kind of a broad idea and and we can realize it in a lot of different policy areas, but it's about we can't lose sight of either of those imperatives. Can't lose sight of, you know, supporting people. We can't lose sight of of moving to a cleaner economy.
0: That was beautiful. Okay, so I'm coming up on my time with you. You've all been so generous with your brains and your thoughts and, and like literally just taking time out of your workday to have this conversation with me. Um, so to wrap things up, we'd love to hear from each of you about sort of in your mind, what's next um, for the act, for just transition in general. And then um, how can listeners find you and the work that you're doing? Um, how can they either plug in to initiatives that you're launching going forward, or alternatively, maybe support your work um, in some capacity. So maybe I'll start with Amara.
3: We've talked about how we're facing the worst year of wildfires ever. Like when when international firefighters arrived in Quebec, they said that the blazers were a hundred times bigger than anything they'd ever seen before. Um, And we've also talked about how the government is still fueling the crisis by propping up the fossil fuel industry and leaving room for them to weaken the legislation. our, our most urgent priority is to make that connection for them between climate impacts and those responsible. So the number one thing I would encourage anyone who's listening to do today is go to 350.org slash burning to find an action near them or sign up to host one. We're trying to host as many actions outside MPs' offices as possible across the country next Wednesday, uh, the 28th. Um, and it's, it's really, really easy to host an action. We have tons of support and toolkits. If you go to the website, find an action near you or sign up to host one, we'll follow up with you immediately with everything you need to know, uh, to organize one. And yeah, there are dozens of actions already. People are really fired up about this. We had an organizing call last week, um, where there were hundreds of people who stayed up to the end, signing up to host actions, coordinating with each other in the chat. Like it was such a hopeful and inspiring thing to be a part of and, And yeah, I can, I I mean, I really have appreciated all of our analysis and our conversation. And I think the the most powerful and hopeful thing that we can all do right now is come together and take action. Um, So 350.org slash burning, check it out. For us, what's coming up
1: next is gonna be very similar. I think to what Amara talking about a lot of mobilization, a lot of also um, presenting, introducing people to this legislation. Seems crazy to me, but not everybody knows about Bill C-50, the Canadian Sustainable Jobs Act. And um, so we're going to try to speak to, you know, folks directly impacted, folks maybe less directly impacted, but but that, um, you know, are interested in an ambitious climate uh, policy in Canada. And so trying to bring them along, explaining this over the summer so that in the fall, when members of parliament are going to go back and are going to work on this, uh, you know, the the public really feels well equipped to push their members of parliament uh, to improve this legislation. So it's going to be a lot of this work around going to communities and making sure members of parliament are now looped in because so far it's been really the minister in charge and and now it's going to go to kind of all folks in parliament. That's going to be really important, and and folks can stay uh, in touch with Environmental Defence so by going to our website environmentaldefense.ca. and and by signing up there uh, to a newsletter, you do get kind of action alerts if there's moments where um, we see, we think it's strategic for you to kind of speak up. Um, so it's a, it's a good way to stay plugged in.
2: For my part, I mean the fight—the fight for a just transition is just getting started, as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, moving forward, I'll be my my job is to provide research support to the movements doing this work on the ground. So I'll be trying to help make this legislation uh, understandable and and provide context and suggestions for how we can make it better. Um, if you want to follow along, the best way to do that is to subscribe to my newsletter. It's called Shift Storm, and you can you can subscribe at uh, policyalternatives.ca/slash shiftstorm. Where we talk about work and climate change all the time, including a just transition. So we'll definitely be keeping tabs on uh, Bill C fifty as it moves forward.
3: The great newsletter. You should
0: definitely subscribe. Beautiful. Thank you all so much for the conversation today, um, listeners. Uh, make sure to check the show notes um, of uh, of the podcast app you're you're listening on. Um, we'll make sure to plug all of those um, various web pages in there. So you can access those calls to action. You can access those newsletters um, and stay up to date on everything that's going on with Just Transition and the Sustainable Jobs Act. Thank you so much, Amara. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you so much, Hadrian, for joining me today. That has been uh, The Green Majority and we will see you next week.